You want to hear another Tinder hookup episode? <clears throat> yeah, sure. This has to be four-ish years ago. I matched with this chick on Tinder. So you're like 24 at the time. Probably 24. Yeah. This was like right at the... <clears throat> I would say probably right at the start of my downward spiral. My mid-20s downward spiral. Okay. Matched with her. We met down on Broadway. Always with you. Yeah. And then we went. We had some beers, had some nachos, chicken nachos, Mm -hmm. as I'm I'm prone to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go back to my place. We hook up. She leaves. I don't hear from her for a couple of weeks. She hits me up. She's like, hey, out of the blue. She's like, what are you doing tonight? I'd love to come over. And I said, okay, yeah, come on over. So she comes over again. We do the thing. and What thing? You know, where we play. She puts the strap on on. Yeah, she bends over. Yes. Nice. I was thinking in that moment, I'm like, who do I know that I could do this to in the future? I don't know anybody yet, but I will one day. (laughs) And... (laughs) So she leaves, and this is at the time I worked in the offices at my apartment. Yeah. The so next you, day. You work where you live. I work where you I live. You eat where you shit. Yep. One of the residents comes in who lives right across from my building. Okay. I always see him. He has this black cat named Seamus. Hmm. That's a good name for a black cat. I like yeah. that. Shamus. And this guy, he was Irish. Um, oh, nice. He was an Irish Irish, but like that was his heritage. Well, if you could name it a cat, Seamus. Yeah. <laughs> you could just look at him and tell this is like a hard drinking, hard partying guy. Sounds like a good man. Yeah. He was always nice and friendly and everything like that. And he's like, hey, have you seen Seamus? It's starting to get cold out. And I'm worried he usually, I haven't seen him at all today because he was an indoor outdoor cat. Mm. So a couple days pass. He comes in whenever I see him outside. I'm like, hey, man, any any Seamus? I haven't seen him anywhere. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, nowhere. couple more months pass. Well, a couple days pass. Seamus comes back around. He's there. I see him. He comes up to me, whatever. This girl comes over again. I hook up with her on a different night. And she just starts laughing while we're hanging out. Like, it was just silent for a minute. And she started giggling. Like a joker laugh? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and I was like, what are you laughing about? She's like, I didn't want to tell you this, but I stole your neighbor's cat. Last time I was over, I left and I took your neighbor's cat because he came up to me and he just didn't have anywhere to go. And I was like, I didn't, I did not know what to say, dude. Yeah. I was like, well, clearly he belongs somewhere if he's like a friendly cat and he's walking up to you. Did she still have the cat? No, so she had brought him back a couple of days after because she felt bad about it. About stealing a cat. Mm-hmm. So he was he was an indoor-outdoor cat. She had took him when he was out one night. He probably just wanted to go out. He let him out. He, he'd always come back. And what does that mean that a cat has nowhere to go? Like, if it's an outdoor cat's got the entire world. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, But what was weird about this particular <laughs> chick? Yeah. I had gone over to her house before, and she had two cats and a dog. And she said to me, I like having animals because it makes me feel like I'm the leader. That is kind of a bizarre thing to say. Yeah. 
But yeah, so she stole my neighbor's cat. And she also said that in the same conversation. And I just didn't know what to say, dude. I was like, I'd never been in that situation before. I was just so shocked. So she did take the cat back, though. She took the cat back to her place. And a couple days later, she had brought it back because I saw him there. And the and guy. And she just, like, let him loose there? Yeah, she just let him back out. What the fuck? What did she do to this cat over those two days? I don't know. It could have been a bad situation, bro. Could have been. Could have been like the gimp in Pulp Fiction with that cat. Who knows what that cat went Dog. through? I mean, it's just, I'm just saying you stole a cat for two days and then you brought it back. Yeah. Like, you're lucky that cat can't speak English. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That it, cat probably has some horror stories. It was bizarre, dude. She was probably using the strap on she used on you on the cat. Poor Seamus. She, she would have used a smaller one on, on the cat than on me. Yeah. Because she's a humanitarian? Yeah. Damn. So how much longer did you uh, <laughs> see this girl? Well, it was always a situation where we were never really dating. It was just like she would come over and we would fuck her. I would go over there. But would, would you fuck. still fuck her after you found out she was a cat rapist? Yeah. Damn. I did. But... My standards were so low with the behavior that I would tolerate at a young age. Now, if a girl did that, like a woman I was dating did that, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? If anybody did that, I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What do you mean you stole a cat? Did she use those words like, I stole your neighbor's cat? Yeah. Oh. She said he hopped up into her arms, and I'm like... No way. No. No. You picked that motherfucker up. Seamus wouldn't You got in an Uber and you left. Oh. Which is even more weird. Think about that Uber she driver. Took an Uber. Yeah, yeah. That's the person I want to talk to. And she's just got a cat with her. Yeah. Fucking weird, man. Boy, I, I'd like to know what Seamus, what was going on with Seamus after that. Broadcasting straight from Big Rock Candy Mountain. I'm Zachary Lehman. I am Taylor Berryman. How can people find you, Taylor? You can find me on Facebook, just my name, or on Instagram as the underscore poptimist. I'm also on TikTok now. Just, You're a TikToker? I'm a TikToker, dude. TikTok slut? I'm a TikTok whore. Uh, <laughs> the poptimist on that, too. And also check out the Poptimist podcast, streaming on all major platforms. Nice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Writing Lehman, Zachary Lehman on Facebook and Instagram. And go buy my book, Nye, on uh, Amazon.com. Also, like, subscribe, and tell a friend about this show, Man of Science, Man of Faith. On all uh, social media platforms. Yeah, it's just Man of Science, Man of Faith on everything. Email us, uh, manofsciencepod at gmail.com. Yeah, I would love some, some listener emails. I'd love some hate mail. Also, shout out to whoever is listening in Little Rock, Arkansas, and North Little Rock. I see that you listen a lot, and we appreciate it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I nice. don't know who it is. Well, thank you. Email us. Tell us if it's you. We'll yeah. give you a shout out on yeah. the Who show. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're doing something a little bit different. Um, because sometimes, Taylor, Millhouse, let me school you both. Yeah. Sometimes it's not always about the piece of art. Mm-hmm. 
right? What do we talk about on this show? We talk about the journey, correct? Yeah. And sometimes the piece of art doesn't end up being all that great. Sometimes there are things out there that become pop culture oddities, not because they're great or terrible, but because they are this perfect, toxic, undefinable mix of awesome and terrible. And nothing describes a mix between awesome and terrible as much as the show we're talking about tonight, which is CSI Miami. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Remember that shit? CSI Miami, for anyone who doesn't know, and by the way, we're talking about an episode called LA, uh, season eight, episode 16, directed by none other than Rob Zombie, who the reason we're talking about, it, I, I got to look real quick because I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Rob Zombie has a new album coming out on March 12th. It is actually, can you look that up for me, Millhouse? Mm -hmm. I actually don't have it on my phone. Uh, he's released a couple songs from it. It's really good. I like all of Rob Zombie's music. I'm, I'm a bigger fan of his work as a director. And this was very weird back in the day. This was 2010. And when this happened, hearing Rob Zombie was going to direct CSI Miami was just bizarre. Well, we actually watched this the night it originally aired together. I, and, I came over to your house to watch this. And I forgot we watched this together, but I do remember this was a huge deal when I watched it because this was at a time when like the internet wasn't in your life every minute of the day. So I like I really didn't know what was going. The only reason I knew Rob Zombie was had directed an episode of CSI Miami was because I just happened to be watching CBS, probably when my dad was or something, and I saw a trailer because they were advertising this big time. Because they would do it the week before mm -hmm. they would pump up whatever next week's episode. It was, was like Rob Zombie's taking CSI Miami to the scariest place on earth, LA. And then it was all this like Rob Zombie imagery. And I remember being so excited because I was like, oh my God, it's like a secret Rob Zombie movie. And you only know about it if you were lucky enough to like see the the trailer. You Have know? you seen Devil's Rejects by this time? Yeah, yeah. That's what made me a huge Rob Zombie fan. So what movies did he have out by this time? Maybe the ha first Halloween movie? He did have the first Halloween and he had, uh, actually he had both Halloweens out. What's up, Milhouse? Uh, What's it called? It's called the uh, Lunar Injection Kool-Aid Eclipse Conspiracy. Dropping on... Great title, by yeah. the way. Rob Zombie Very always Rob does. Zombie. He does the best titles. Uh, dropping on March 12th. I've heard a couple singles from it. it. It is really good. I'm excited for it. Of course, we could have talked about great work by Rob Zombie, but I have been obsessed with this CSI Miami episode forever because there, there are certain things that exist in pop culture that fascinate me because they shouldn't exist. They feel like something that was transported from an alternate reality and they sort of got lost in translation. Well, CSI in general was a huge cultural phenomenon. Yeah, when we were like kids. Yeah, when we were kids and this then This is the beginning of like the DVD era. Like every week my family watched CSI, the original which was set in Las yeah. Vegas. Um yeah, I mean, CSI, I was never huge into the CSIs, but there was a time in television, this was long before Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and all that stuff people before loved. Lost. Before Lost. Well, Lost was on while they were on. Yeah, a little the, bit. I think the original CSI even predated that. I feel it like did. It, it maybe I, came out in 2001. I think so. Yeah, can you let, the original CSI. This one came out in 2002, I believe. Um, yeah, there, there was a time in television where it was basically, it, you had three CSIs, you had three Law and Orders, and then you had ten copycats of each one of those shows, yes. and that was it. October sixth, two thousand, before I was born. Oh shit! CSI was before you were born. Yep. Damn. Yeah, CSI. I, I don't think people can quite 
like Millhouse, do you remember CSI when you were a kid? Uh, it being a big thing. Yeah, I, re- I remember like CSI Miami specifically, not like the original yeah. one. Uh, I remember uh, playing the video games growing up too. Oh shit! There was a there you was like a, a legit CSI. There, there was no, not really. I you re- played the fucking video games. There's probably ten people on Earth who played those. Dude, okay, I swear there was, was it PS2. No, no, it wasn't PS2. It was it PC. I had, I was had, it computer? I had a little DS. Okay. And uh, I got like a CSI cartridge from like a flea market that was like a dollar. And I played the video game. Did you play as David Caruso? Caruso? I think so. Horatio Kane? Yeah. But it was like, it wasn't like a normal game. It was weird. It was mm. cool though. You had to like solve puzzles. These were huge. They they were they were releasing novels, video games, everything. I mean, to, to give perspective on CSI Miami, how huge it was, because I think people don't realize now, it ran for 10 seasons, 232 episodes. Damn. Of David Caruso one-liners. And then um, taking off his sunglasses and putting them on. Yep. Its premiere got 23 million viewers, which today it's hard to compare because now it's streaming and everything. They just don't calculate numbers the same way. But let's just say there's no show right That's now. That's people tuning in. Night of. When it airs. Watching 20 minutes of advertisements to see 40 minutes of David Caruso in a hero shot with his sunglasses on. Uh, so yeah, it debuted to 23 million. It was averaging about 20 million uh, viewers every week for the next few years. Then it kind of slowly dropped to 15, then 10. This episode, the finale, uh, it by the finale, it was down to like 7.94. Uh, this was the highest rated episode uh, before the finale. So this was kind of the last hurrah of CSI Miami. It was like, here's Rob Zombie. This is the last thing we got. And yeah, I mean, CSI Miami was huge. I mean... We, you probably remember like uh, Jim Carrey going on the Late Show and doing the, the CSI Miami yeah, impression. I that. I um, about that. They were everywhere. I mean, he was just. And this is the other thing. This episode is not only fascinating to me. David Caruso, as a human being, is one of the most fascinating human beings. He's one of the most fascinating artists because he has made inexplicable acting decisions. He's made inexplicable career decisions, and yet he's come out on top. We have a lot of crazy, Rob Zombie has a lot of crazy David Caruso stories we'll get into. But let me, before we get into the episode, let me give you a little background on David Caruso. Because I have many times fallen down the rabbit hole of David Caruso stories. I am just endlessly fascinated by this skinny, ginger millionaire. David Caruso. So when he first started his career, so he grew up on like Humphrey Bogart movies, like old classic cinema. And he said he used to work at a a movie theater and that's what he would watch. So he always imagined being like that old school macho leading man, which you look at David Caruso and it's like, can't really see it. Although, you know, props to him. He ended up pulling it off with CSI Miami. But anyway, he starts off his career. He's kind of a character actor. He's in like Hill Street Blues. Uh, an officer and a gentleman. He was in First Blood, first Rambo movie. Oh, you remember shit. that? Yeah, he was one of the cops. I think he's like the first one Rambo kills. Anyway, he's kind of a character actor. Then all of a sudden, he gets this huge show called NYPD Blue, which was huge in the 90s. Yeah. And just like we'll talk about when CSI Miami ended, I think it was a big seismic shift in television. Just like when NYPD Blue premiered, it was a big seismic shift because... That was really the beginning of procedurals on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, Law, it was, Law and Order might predate that, though. It does. It, NYPD Blue was like taking the procedural and making it slightly darker. Like, uh, I, I only know this, again, because I've fallen down the David Caruso rabbit hole. I haven't lived this. But I'm sure if you talk to your dad, because I've interviewed my parents about David Caruso, because I need to know everything... 
One of the biggest things NYPD Blue ever did was they had the first male nudity on network television. Really? And it was David Caruso's, bam, two ginger butt cheeks. And it was a huge deal because it was like, they didn't know if they were going to get fined by the FCC. They didn't know if this was going to be a new rule. Was this TVMA at the time? Well, it was, but it was on like NBC. NBC. Yeah, ABC or NBC. I think ABC. But it was a big deal because it had never been done before. And so that's what David Cruiser. Can you imagine this? David Cruiser, this little skinny ginger who's dreaming of being Humphrey Bogart. He's getting all these little character actor roles. Suddenly they're like, you're the head of this entire show. We are turning you somehow into a sex symbol. Now, what ends up happening with NYPD Blue is David Caruso is a dick for the first year. I mean, he hates the writing. He'll come in. He'll be like, these scripts are shit. This whole show's shit. Because he didn't want to do television. He wanted to do movies. And him and the creator, David Milch, who David Milch, by the way, he said the scripts were shit. David Milch, most people will agree, is perhaps one of the greatest living writers, especially when it comes to television. He would create Deadwood and just do some amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, And him... To give you an idea of David Caruso, which David Caruso, by the way, four episodes into season two of NYPD Blue, they wrote him off the show because he said, I'm done. Fuck you. I'm going to make movies because he was getting these movie deals. He got paid like a million bucks a piece for a couple movies. And back then, it was very a, a big career move to jump yeah, from TV. To yeah, it wasn't movies. like today where it's like you just see an actor on TV and they're in movies and it's like not a big deal. Back then, it was like you're on television or you're in movies. So his thing was, I got to be in movies. So he leaves the show, and he's a dick about it. I mean, he's telling the press, he's like, this show won't be successful without me. Spoiler alert, it ran for another 10 seasons. It was fucking huge. But there was a time, David Milch tells this story. He once got in an argument that was so heated with David Caruso over a script that in the middle of it, as he's screaming at David Caruso and David Caruso screaming, screaming back at him, he starts to feel his heart pinch. And he was in bad health. He, he, he was an alcoholic for a while, gambling addict, doing some real scuzzy shit. And he feels his heart pinch and start to like contract. And he knew he was having a heart attack. And he still said, I refuse to stop like arguing with this man. He kept yelling at David Caruso, waited till the argument ended, and then said to someone, I'm having a heart attack. I need to go to the hospital. Now imagine, David Caruso is just an actor. He's never killed anybody. He's never started a world war. And yet he is able to inspire hatred in another human being that's so deep that they think to themselves, I would rather die than let this motherfucker have the last word. So that's David Caruso. Goes on, makes a couple movies. The movies were supposed to be big deals. One was Kiss of Death, which I'm sure no one's heard of. It, but it had Samuel L. Jackson, Nicolas Cage, all in supporting roles. Oh, shit. The other one was Jade. I mean, it was directed by William Friedkin, who did The Exorcist. Like, these were supposed to be big deals. Huge flops. David Cruz was suddenly doing, like, straight-to-DVD movies. He's just a piece of shit. All of a sudden, CSI Miami comes along. And someone had the bright idea to be like, let's give David Caruso a comeback. And it worked. This motherfucker was making a quarter of a million dollars an episode while he was on CSI Miami. Since CSI Miami ended, he has not acted once. He ain't done shit. Doesn't need to. He has fuck you money. He, and on CSI Miami, we'll learn with Rob Zombie, it's not like he was better behaved. I'm sure Rob Zombie would rather die than let David Caruso have the last word in an argument. But it all worked out for him. I would love to sit down with David Caruso 
he's one of those guys. I can't say I like him. I can't say I hate him, but I would love to just sit down with him for like four hours and just figure out what alien species he belongs to. Cause give me, you, you watch this. Had you seen much of CSI Miami before this episode? Maybe uh, clips when you were, I watched the episode that originally when it aired and then again over 10 years later and that's it that's it i watched the original csis uh like i was saying yeah there were three there was also the original csi um with william it was william peterson then a couple other people that went for like 15 years and then there was in las vegas and then and then there was uh new york with uh gary sinise i think they tried to do a couple others but those were the big ones yeah um Give me a quick overview. What do you think of David Caruso's acting choices? He's very uh, wooden. I think that's the best way to describe him. <laughs> yeah. He says everything very flatly. Yeah. Like he doesn't give a fuck. He is just there for the money. Mm-hmm. That's the impression you get? Yeah. Yeah. I Again, there's, there's an X factor with him where uh, if someone asked me like, what is he doing right? I wouldn't know. I have no fucking clue, but he has to be doing something right. David Caruso is like, he's like grits. Like, I hate grits, right? When I eat grits, I can't even explain what would make a human being say this is good. They're just hot, buttery, mushy balls. Yet grits are a staple in the South, and they're a cornerstone to many people's diets. Just as David Caruso, when he was on CSI Miami, he was some people's favorite actor. So you can look at David Caruso. You can be disgusted by him. You can go, I don't understand what appeals about this. But he reached a level of popularity where you had to go, there's nothing I can say. I can't explain to people that this is stupid. You know what I mean? And then you almost start to respect it. He almost did this 180 for me where it went from I hate him to then I'm just endlessly fascinated by him. It's like... Maybe it's a so bad he's good thing. Maybe it's a just caught up in like the cultural phenomenon of CSI Miami. I don't know what it is, but he's endlessly fascinating to me. So anyway, this episode, L.A., directed by none other than Rob Zombie. And yeah, this was after he did the Halloween remakes. And this was right before. This actually might have been what made him sort of go independent after this. Because he did the Halloween movies were with major studios. Then he did this. And then he kind of took a couple years off and came back with Lords of Salem. And ever since then. That was a long break, too. Yeah, and ever since then, he's really only done um very small budget movies and they always get very independent releases so i think he was pretty because he even talks about on halloween he worked with the weinsteins and nobody has a good story about working with the weinsteins he hated it i don't think he got me too though so i think he's okay um but yeah he uh he did not like this episode which we'll get into so csi miami la we won't do the normal breakdown like we do with some of this stuff because look it is rob zombie but this is also CSI. So you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a fingerprint somewhere. There's going to be a piece of evidence that was missing or planted that they'll find. And then they catch the guy and blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing every episode. 24 episodes a season, which is incredible. So basically, I'll just give an overview. All right, you tell me if I'm missing anything. So this story opens in Miami, opens with a very Rob Zombie-ish opening scene pyrotechnics rock band rock band with like masks and demon wings and um yeah it's a mask party hot girls yep you get through like a bdsm very you can you can tell very obviously what rob zombie was in control of in this episode so it opens and we're introduced to two of our bad guys tony enright who 
Can you look that up for me, Milhouse? Just look up CSI Miami, LA, and then uh, look it for a character, Tony Enright. Because I can't remember his name, but he is a big actor. And none other than Michael Madsen. Yes. Tony Enright is putting on this party. He's a famous pornographer, rich guy, and his uh, head of security is, as will be told many times by him, an ex-member of the Miami Dolphins. Back when they were the Dolphins. As he does in Michael Madsen. I love seeing Michael Madsen in this, too. Yeah, he was good in this. Because he's usually just in, like, some shitty movie where he's, like, on the cover with a gun. And I like seeing him in something legit. Paul Paul Blackthorne? Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. So, Paul Blackthorne, he's uh, Paul, uh, Tony Enright. Yep. And then, uh, and then Michael Madsen is this guy Cooper, who's his head of security, ex uh, Miami Dolphins player. And then we see them kind of cozying up at the party. These girls come up. One of them seems like they're dating Tony. They give him a drink and you know tell him go mingle in the party. Next thing you know, we see a guy in a mask, and he appears to be assaulting and raping one of these women. And then. The other girl kind of walks in on what's happening. She gets killed. They wake up in a pool of blood, both these girls. Turns out the girl who was being assaulted is actually alive. Next thing you know, enter Horatio Kane, played by David Caruso. And we get to see the amazing, one-of-a-kind line deliveries that David Caruso plays. Takes off his sunglasses. Yeah, he's a very big thing, which, again, you can say... You can say about David Crusoe, you can go, the sunglasses thing is stupid. The sunglasses thing became huge. Those sunglasses he wears in the show, they were producing and making money off of. So this weird decision he has to like remove them and put them on for dramatic effect, it somehow worked. You know what it was? What? They, some sunglass company came to him and they're like, X amount of dollars will pay you every episode. And he's just like, okay. Yeah. David Crusoe, the only way I can convince myself that he is a talented guy is to say that he knew how bad this show was and he played his role as a troll. He played it as like an alien who fell to earth who is now impersonating a Miami homicide detective because his line delivery is inexplicable. No human being talks like this. He puts emphasis on weird words. He takes a long time to say things. Like one thing he says to Tony, because we find out Tony Enright, this is the center of the story. Basically, he used to be in L.A. and he left after getting a murder charge that he beat despite there being a lot of evidence. So now he's come to Miami to sort of get away from his past or whatever. He goes, I know who you are and I know what you did in L.A. But he says it in this voice where you're like, what? Is he for real? Is this guy fucking around? And one thing I love, we'll probably get to the lines. Every person cast by Rob Zombie, every guest star, makes mention of either Horatio Kane or one of his little cop buddies making them laugh. And it almost feels like Rob Zombie putting in lines where he's having, he's almost trolling to the point where he's like, I'm basically dealing with CSI Miami like it's a character. And then I'm implanting all these real characters and they're reacting how real people would react to these people. Because there's a lot of Rob Zombies, Rob Zombies regulars. Yeah. And every one of them will say at one point like, oh, you make me laugh or you're a funny guy. Something like that. Like they will make fun of these main characters in a way where it almost feels like Rob Zombie's kind of done with this show. Because he said he did do it as a fan, which I'm sure he loved it for the same reasons I did. He was just fascinated by how terrible it was. But... It feels like he's making fun of the show in a very undercut way. You know what I mean? Uh, So then we get the famous scene where, well, first we find out 
again, this is a detail. It doesn't really matter who really fucking cares. But one of the detectives under Horatio was a detective on the L.A. thing with with Tony Enright. Blah, blah, blah. That guy fucking annoyed me in this episode. He's horrible. Yeah. Like, no offense. I mean, I'm glad he got a paycheck. But, I mean, he's just... There's nothing. Very melodramatic. Um, So, David always does this thing where he has one line that he says... And then all of a sudden, credits, and you hear the Who go, ah! It was like, that was the thing with CSI Miami. They had Who songs at the beginning of every single episode. For or for each one, they had a particular one. Like, the original CSI was Who Are You? Then uh, CSI Miami was uh, Who Won't Get Fooled Again. Do you know what CSI New York was? I don't know. Bill Hoskin, you... Uh, yeah, look that up. Look what that was up. the Who song for CSI New York? And, and David Crusoe always says something that no human being would say. It's always very punny, always very like like a Target t-shirt. You know what I mean? He goes, oh, what is he? Oh, he says, roll credits, Mr. Enright. And then Enright goes, I'm sorry? And he goes, uh, that's a wrap. Puts on his glasses. Ah! Then we're into the show. We're into CSI fucking Miami. Which, again, like it's things like this where I'm like, I don't know if I love it or I hate it. Because there are times I've watched CSI Miami... Baba O'Reilly is something. Yeah. Oh, okay. There are times I've watched CSI Miami, and there are some where I go, eh, that's kind of clever. Like, I remember one where they found, like, a dead body in um, a dead body in a trunk. <laughs> they're showing Horatio, and right before he puts his sunglasses on, he goes, well, it looks, some, it looks like somebody took this girl for a ride. Sunglasses on. CSI Miami. It's just incredible. It's like, it's one of those, as an artist, you can make a bad decision, but I feel like there's a certain point if you commit to it, it's like, this is awesome. It's that rule of one, three, or a hundred. You know what I mean? Yeah. You do it once, you do it three times, that can work. But if you just hit it into, if you hit it into the ground and just ride it into the sun, you could be in for some like Norm McDonald brilliance. You know what I mean? So anyway, we're into the show, uh, and again, uh, I'm I'm just gonna fucking run through this plot real quick. Michael Madsen's being interviewed, blah blah blah. CSIs are like doing their thing. They, they find all this stupid shit. They find a bug in the fucking uh, in the, the the room where they got that murdered. Was placed there by Lorenzo, the detective. Was it Lorenzo? It was like Card. Who ca- you know what? Don't say his name. It doesn't matter. He doesn't deserve a name. The dude from L.A. Yeah. He planted a bug there because he's like, and I killed somebody and I'm going to find him. And you're like, all right, bro. I'm going to get him on something. It's like, chill. Take a fucking pill. This is CSI Miami. Which also, isn't that illegal? That's what I was thinking. I'm like, whatever you hear on that bug, you're not going to be able to use. So I, I don't understand what the point is here. Well, that was one of the plots of the episode, too, is because allegedly back in L.A., he was a disgraced cop. Because he planted evidence they said he or he removed it. evidence. Yeah. It was something with a cuff link. We'll get to that. So basically, and I'll even say, spoilers, let's just say what happens at the end of the episode. Because we already fucking know. These shows are so simple. Basically, whoever the, the big guest star is, just go by the order of actors. If there's someone who's slightly big, they're the killer. Or they know the killer. And they helped in the killing. They're going to jail. Spoilers. What ended up happening was Michael Madsen was basically Cooper. He was given, quote unquote, his uh, Tony's girlfriend. Tony roofied her. Tony roofied her and was like, you know, I'm tired of her. She's a gift for you. She's a bonus is how he describes it. 
she doesn't quite pass out from the roofie. So then he's like raping her. And he says at one point, you know, if she just stayed calm, this wouldn't have happened, blah, blah, blah. Then this other chick walked in. Cooper killed her. And then as far as the L.A. shit, we find out because this is the one thing that happens. Uh, uh, David Caruso does go to L.A. That's like the big thing in this episode. It's like CSI Miami's going to L.A. Like, holy shit, it's a different fucking city. It's a yeah. big fucking week. And that, that's even in the advertisements. Yeah. Um, for the and so when he goes to L.A. And by the way, I will say about CSI Miami, great music, though. They must have spent a fucking fortune on music. So they play uh, California Dreamin' when he's first going out. Yeah, which which is just like, okay, we get it. Very on the nose, but look, it's CSI Miami. Yeah. Come on, we can't be too subtle. We, we got a lot of grandmas watching, you know? We can't waste their time. Um, and then later they play uh, Life of Illusion by Joe Walsh, which I loved when they played that. Yeah. I almost never hear that song. Um, so anyway, uh, David Caruso, uh, Horatio, I should say. He goes out to L.A. He starts digging into this case because only Horatio can going, find the going truth. Going to see the old or the guy's old captain who works for Horatio. Yeah, who's now. played by William Forsyth, R.I.P. from Devil's Rejects, by the way. He was I the sheriff. I love the the opening to or the, that scene. Whenever it, it's like a helicopter, yeah, lands and they're on this rooftop, and you see David Caruso oh, yeah. in the sunglasses. <laughs> With the Hollywood sign yes, behind him. That's the best is David Caruso's head takes up half the fucking screen. And then all you see next to him is like the Hollywood sign. He's just like real serious looking around like, so this is L.A., huh? Like, it's so corny and yet brilliant at the same time. Well, there was another really cheesy part, too, where they were sniffing around. Uh-huh. <laughs> there were some cops that drove by him slow-mo and kind of gave him. Oh, I missed that. Gave him the stink eye. <laughs> This they, was after they talked to the captain. They, they had were, the cop intimidation thing. Yeah. I forgot about that. I must have missed that. I've seen this so many times. But uh, So anyway, they're in L.A. They find out that uh, uh, Enright had a lawyer played by none other than Malcolm fucking McDowell from A Clockwork Orange. He was great. So we'll start getting into some of Rob Zombie's uh, stories behind CSI Miami. Because not only is this the, re- the, the episode itself is, is why I want to talk about it, but also Rob Zombie's journey behind it. Did we also say that uh, Michael, what's his name, is the the killer? Who? Oh, yeah, Michael Madsen. Yeah, yeah I said that. They end up catching him as, yeah, he killed the girl. But the one scene that I did think was kind of funny is whenever they were interrogating him the second time, they brought up the fact that the killer used a condom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I don't use condoms. Yeah, because they're like, he's like, what kind of condoms are my favorite? Well, I don't really use them that much, so that's a little personal. Because basically, they find out they find like evidence. It's just, it's so even me saying it. This is why, bro. This is why I can't sell books. If I could just write a book that was like an episode of CSI Miami, I would be a millionaire. But I can't do it because I I, I listen to this shit and I go, who fucking cares when they're like. You know, they're doing their CSI thing and they're in their lab being nerds. And he calls them little man. I like that. That is funny when Michael Madsen's first being interviewed. He goes him like, uh, little man. And then he calls him Pip Squeak. And then he goes, the guy goes, I'm 5'9". He's like, my pants are 5'9". I'm like, whoa, <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, one of the things that's so stupid. So they, they check this girl because they give her a rape kit. They find evidence of a lambskin condom. And then they check Michael Madsen's Which fingerprints. Chosen by a man who doesn't like using condoms. Yes, very true. Uh, Charlie Sheen's preferred condom, lambskin. Uh, and then they check Michael Madsen's fingerprints, and Wait, they hold find. On a second. Was that an age joke? No. Why would that be an age joke? 
No, I'm saying legit. He does say he, he uses lambskin condoms. Cracking a cold one because this is a hard episode to get through. Millhouse, what the fuck do you have to say about that? Nothing. You did it right in the mic. Good. <laughs> Why shouldn't people hear that? Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, so they check his fingerprints. On his fingerprints, what do they find? Evidence of a lambskin condom. Oh, my God. Michael Madsen must be the killer. Well, they found his fingerprint on the murder weapon. It was a pain. Yeah, then they... like, I, I signed yeah. at least two dozen yeah, autographs so... that night. Now they got the for the dolphins. Now they got the lambskin condom. Like, uh, and then they bust them by him saying something about lambskin. Oh, that's the fucking yeah. That's the bad writing. Would know that it was a lambskin. That's the bad writing right there. Is when they're they're talking about the condom, and then he goes uh, because they haven't mentioned lambskin, and he says something about like this all comes down to a lambskin condom, and they're like, voila! Only the killer would know about a lambskin condom. And then you can tell even Michael Madsen knows how bad the writing is because he just goes, ah, shit. Like, he doesn't even deliver it in a believable way. He just goes, ah, shit, got caught. Like, he is, that's probably his last day of filming. And he's like, I'm ready to go. I got to call Quentin tomorrow. I got to get in something. You know what I mean? I got to get in whatever his next movie is because this is killing my soul. So, yeah, Michael Madsen ends up being the killer. And so they're in L.A. They go see Tony Enright's lawyer, played by Malcolm McDowell. And to give some some background to the episode, Rob Zombie said he called up Malcolm McDowell. And now David Caruso has a reputation for being an unlikable guy. Called up Malcolm McDowell. He said, hey, do you want to come out and do a couple days on CSI Miami? And Malcolm McDowell said, uh, is that cunt David Caruso going to be there? And he's like, well, yeah, it's his show. And he's like, perfect. And he said, yes, I'll do it. Pay me whatever. I'm going to spend my two days there making that cunt so fucking miserable. Like he's basically going to drive David Caruso to suicide. That's his only mission. He does not give a fuck about playing a role on the biggest show on television. That's how great Malcolm McDowell is. He's about to be on the number one show in the world. And he's like, I would rather just fuck with David Caruso for two days. Like that's the point I'm at in my life. And uh, again, uh, a Rob Zombie regular. He was in both Halloween movies as the new Dr. Loomis. And he was in 31. I think that's it. He might have been in one other. But anyway. So yeah, they they start looking into this case. And they find out Malcolm McDowell might not be an up and up lawyer. Might be planting evidence. Which everything's so obvious in this. It can never be anything clever. It's just like a lawyer who literally plants evidence. So they go see this guy. And another scene Rob Zombie kind of broke down. You can find the video, I think, uh, if you just look up Rob Zombie, it's not on YouTube, but Rob Zombie, Red Eye, CSI Miami, you'll see uh, the video. And you'll also see a rod- uh, an article by moi that I wrote a few years ago. Not bragging because I didn't get paid shit for it, so don't worry. Um, he basically says that these major scenes between David Caruso and Malcolm McDowell are in Malcolm McDowell's office. And David Caruso, the original plan was... Rob Zombie goes, okay, David Cruz is going to drive up to the building. He's going to step out of the car, go into the building, and then he's going to sit down across from Malcolm McDowell, and they're going to have this cat and mouse thing. He's told by David Crusoe's people, David's not good with driving. And so Rob Zombie said, okay, um, we'll just start on the car. He'll open the door, go in the building, go sit down. David's not good with doors. Okay. We'll just start in the office. He'll sit down and he'll talk to Malcolm McDowell. David's not real good with sitting either. So basically, David Caruso had built a 
environment where every scene that he's in in CSI Miami, he never has to do two things at once, and he will always just have a hero shot. They'll block the entire scene around him. He can say three lines and then fuck off. You know what? At the end of the episode, Malcolm McDowell, whenever he's leaving, yep. this is the this must be a Rob Zombie troll. Yeah, he's like, open the door because he gets in the back of the I car. I thought that. Yeah, <laughs> and he gets all mad about it, and he's like, I guess I'll close the door for myself then. Yeah, and it's a scene that he has with David Caruso. Yeah, I, I thought that I never noticed it till this watch, but um, there's a scene at the end because spoilers. Uh, Tony Enright ends up going to jail they're gonna charge him because planted evidence he, he pro- probably in real life he gets off he probably does get off because malcolm mcdowell's like these charges aren't gonna stick and david cruz is just standing there like an asshole we'll and then malcolm mcdowell to his chauffeur he's like well is this door gonna open itself and then he just shuts it himself real aggressively and it, it felt like a dig at david caruso so anyway for this scene in his office malcolm mcdowell he would do a couple things that annoyed uh, david caruso First, David Caruso shoots all his stuff first. That way he can leave first. So when uh, Malcolm McDowell would have to read off camera, what he would do is he would wait till the second before the cameras are rolling, and he'd go, I have to use the bathroom. And he'd go use the bathroom and make David wait every single time. And he did it every single time, so it was like, you know what I'm doing. Like, I don't have to take a shit. I'm going to go sit in there for five minutes and just text. And then there's a scene in the show where David Caruso comes to visit him and Malcolm McDowell's on the phone and he's talking to some girl or something. He's like, oh yes, what are you wearing? Like, I'll see you at seven. He just goes on and on and on. And it reaches a point where David Caruso goes, hang up the phone. And then Malcolm McDowell keeps talking. And then David Caruso goes, excuse me. Now, apparently this is real. Uh, Rob Zombie said they cut out one part, which was Malcolm refused to stop talking he was talking for minutes on end on this phone and david caruso's face was getting red and what they did david caruso finally went hang up the fucking phone and da- and malcolm mcdowell unfazed just kept talking like oh yes dear like oh, what are you wearing and they kept in the next two lines which was legit david caruso talking as david caruso going hang up the phone excuse me i'm trying to get the fuck out of here and then the other thing he would do is David Caruso had a rule where he had to have the last line in every scene. So what? <laughs> this is so fucking bizarre. What so a weird guy. what Malcolm McDowell would do, and you can see it when they leave his office because they call him out. Basically, they're visiting him because they find out there's this cufflink that Malcolm McDowell replaced, and they find out because they search it on the computer and they do this. They literally match. find like Malcolm McDowell's this millionaire lawyer, but he was somehow stupid enough to just go buy a fucking. From down the street. Identical cufflink with his own fucking credit card. Have a fucking history of it. And then go and replace the fucking cufflink. I, it's bizarre. But whatever. That's the story. And there is a scene. Um, again, Malcolm McDowell makes a, makes a comment to him. It's something like, well, you're a funny guy, aren't you? Like, again, making fun of just this CSI Miami world. And there's a scene where David Cruz, he walks off. And uh, I can't remember what Malcolm McDowell yells, but he yells something. And it felt like that's Malcolm McDowell making sure he gets in the last line. Because it's right when David walks off camera, which is incredible. So anyway, yeah, I mean, we, we pretty much went through the story. I mean, we also find out William Forsyth, we didn't talk about too much. He's really good in this episode. He's a police captain. Basically, what happened was he knew that Malcolm McDowell replaced this cufflink, and he ended up picking it up because he knew it was uh, a fake, and then they ended up blaming this melodramatic piece of shit that we talked about. Which also, wouldn't that be illegal? Yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing, nothing happens no. to this guy. No. He just basically says this guy, the guy. Who well, he doesn't say it publicly. David Crusoe does. His name is cleared and he's in good standing. And there, There is a cool scene, um, which, again, this is obviously Rob Zombie. They're meeting on this stage. I don't know what stage it was, but they talk a little bit about the Beatles playing there. And that's where they meet and David Crusoe confronts him about everything. And he does come clean. But then publicly, he never says what he did. He just, like, apologizes to this. We should also mention the scene with uh, Sherry Moon Zombie and yes. Billy Gibbons from ZZ I was Top. wondering if you noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sherry Moon Zombie, who's Rob Zombie's wife. She's in everything. She plays the photographer that basically leads which, them to the... Okay. Again. Declaring this guy's name. The way they solve this, they're looking at photographs from the crime scene. And they're looking for photographers. And they see... Look at that blonde right there. She has a badge on. And then they're like, yeah, like Sherry Moon Zombie. Of course, you're going to be like, oh, check her out. But what I'm saying is they, they zoom in on her, her press badge. And they're like, she must have more pictures of the crime scene so we can see who planted the cufflink. So then they go see Sharon Moon Zombie. Sharon Moon Zombie, of course, she just has all these pictures still. And what do you know? There's William Forsythe, a fucking police captain, who is so stupid that the way he's going to remove a piece of evidence is he's going to go in broad daylight into the fucking murder scene while there's press photographing him. And he's just going to lean down and he's going to grab it because that's the fucking picture she has. She literally has him in the act. He's a police captain. You're not telling me there's any better way he can remove a piece of fucking evidence. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre. <laughs> but on the, the, the bright side, uh, yes, ZZ Top's uh, Barry Gibbons, right? Billy the, Gibbons. Billy Gibbons, uh, the guitarist, right? Yeah. He's in this scene very briefly because Sherry Moon Zombie's like taking pictures She's of him. She's a photographer. photographer. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Just seeing, cool. just seeing him there. That was thing that was Rob Zombie influence where Rob Zombie sure. probably called Billy Gibbons. He's like, hey, man, you want to do CSI Miami? Oh, yeah. You get to be in the scene with my wife. She's smoking hot. Yeah, that was probably how he sold it to him. And he was probably like, yeah, sure. Because it was probably like a couple hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's probably like, you'll get to see this douchebag David Caruso. That's another thing he said. He said this was three weeks work. He said by week two, he would not move from behind the monitor. And David Caruso would ask him, like, how was that? And Rob Zombie would just yell, I don't give a shit. Like, he did not care. He was done by the end of this. So, yeah, I mean, we've basically gone through the whole episode. And by the way, the ending. The fucking ending which we talked about with the door malcolm mcdowell he's great but then we're left with mr melodramatic and fucking david caruso and it ends with just incredible dialogue i don't know how the fuck i'm not a paid tv writer the guy the melodramatic guy goes thank you and david caruso goes you would have done the same for me jesse credits like that's it and After then what is it <laughs> well that's actually not in the credits <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah again um i do I, I mean i will say i do have this is probably the last time i'll watch this because i've seen it too many times it's more than it is healthy but um i do love this because it's just it i love inexplicable art i love and this is 40 minutes of a rob zombie movie and CSI procedural clashing. Like they're at war with each other. Because there is interesting stuff. Like all the stuff with like Michael. the opening was yeah. very Rob Zombie. Now, they had all those shots where everything was like shaky camera, weird. Yeah, it was all. And 
another thing I forgot to mention that was obviously very Rob Zombie. When that rape happens, what's playing in the background on the TV that they keep cutting Nosferatu. to? Nosferatu. Nosferatu, yeah. Um, like that whole story, everything not involving David Caruso, you're like, this could have been an interesting hour and a half movie. They're like These are a lot of interesting characters, a lot of interesting actors. And then there's just this CSI episode just clashing with it. And it's fascinating to me. All the guest stars were great on this episode. They're all amazing. It's like... Because they're all good actors and yeah. actresses. And, and again, I feel like there are certain lines where Rob Zombie is trying to differentiate between this show and these actors. Because these actors are openly perplexed by David Caruso's personality. You know what I mean? And they all tell him, like, you're funny. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like lines like that. And that's what I love about it is just, I mean, look, I could talk about Devil's Rejects for four hours. I could talk about House of a Thousand Corpses for four hours. But this is, and I know Rob Zombie is obsessed with these sort of pop culture oddities too. And I, I also kind of love that he got his chance to create some weird pop culture oddity that'll live forever, not because it's great, not because it's terrible, but just because it is just endlessly fascinating that it even exists. Well, he grew up in the 70s. Yeah, and he which has was, was chock full of that. Yeah, and he has. If you listen to him talk, even in this interview, which was on uh, Fox News's Red Eye way back in the day, remember that show? Three a.m. in the morning. I used to watch that show. I didn't give a fuck. Um, you, you see in that interview. I mean, he has like a deep pop culture knowledge, not just of horror, but just everything. Random, random shit. Um, but yeah, again, it, this is just one of the most fascinating things he's ever done to me. And CSI Miami. I was talking about a seismic shift before. When CSI Miami ended, it really did feel like the death of an age of television. Yeah, it kind of ushered in the Netflix era. Because, there was a few years of lag before TV mm -hmm. became big again, but it was because of Netflix. Because when CSI was on, you either had shows like Lost on network television, which people would mostly dismiss as like, oh, that's like for geeks, you know what I mean? And then you had shows on like FX or HBO or Showtime that you really had to dig out to find. Because back then, it, it, it wasn't as accessible to get these channels. No. And the big thing was just like crime procedurals. And the, the heroes were heroes. They weren't protagonists. They were fucking heroes. Pre-Breaking Bad. Matlock. Yeah. Yep. Well, what? Well, this is probably right at the same time as Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad started right when CSI Miami was ending. Yeah. Okay. So it tells you That's that. That's how I would separate the eras. Yeah, me too. Because right when this ended, it's kind of like, um, remember when like, I mean, The Office is huge now, but when it started, the thing I remember about it, it was like The Office, My Name is Earl, a couple other shows. Gossip Girl. They were the first comedies to not use a laugh track. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, the sitcom's dead. And now you do still see sitcoms around. Like Big Bang Theory was like the number one show, but, but it's they're weird not. You just see something with a laugh track now. Exactly. And just like seeing something like CSI Miami now, which you do see, like CBS still does these shows. They just always do them as remakes now. It's like MacGyver, Hawaii Five O, whatever. It's still bizarre to see it because it's not the norm. But they anymore. always use those as like. Uh, like, when they reboot them into movies, they use them as comedies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like they did with Baywatch. But I'm saying, like, they have a MacGyver show on now, Hawaii Five-O oh, show. Oh, shit, I didn't know Yeah, that. and they're basically like CSI Miami, and they're just for that audience that is nostalgic for that. But in the big scheme of things, like, it's not a natural way to tell a story anymore. So I feel like when CSI Miami... And it's interesting, because David Crusoe, again, this fucking... I don't know if he's the most talented man on Earth or the, the, the least talented... This is a motherfucker who publicly 
left the number one show in the world. It's like you're in the Stones, and the Stones are pretty big. And then you go, Stones ain't going to be nothing without me. And you leave. And the Stones keep being the Stones, and you just be fucking Johnny whoever. Except David Crusoe didn't become Johnny whoever. He got another show. Like, what the, What blackmail does this man have on Hollywood executives to keep getting work? It's incredible. And I, again, it was huge when he left that show. I mean, Quentin Tarantino's talked about it. Like, it was a big cultural moment because it was a moment where someone, like, usually, like, if you see someone leave a band, for instance, that becomes big, it's before they become big. David Crusoe left while this show was big and said very publicly, fuck you, you ain't nothing without me. And then all of a sudden, they become everything without him. And then he still gets a number one show. And to be on both those shows, both of those shows represent seismic shifts in television. Like NYPD Blue, the beginning of it represents sort of police procedurals going darker. The end of CSI Miami definitely sort of evokes that uh, that ushering in of the golden age of television. The death of them. Yeah, the death of those shows. Yeah, that, isn't that funny? He's there at the beginning. He's there at the end. He created this monster and he fucking killed it too. <laughs> um, but he's just endlessly fascinating, man. And even as an actor, he, he reminds me, the person he reminds me the most of is like Steven Seagal. Because you watch him and you're just like, what? What are you playing? Are you like a half man, half animal? Are you an alien? What, what are you going for here? And yet it works. Because this motherfucker does not have to work a day for the rest of his life. He will live like a fat rat in a cheese factory. So the joke's on me. The joke's on me. Because I'm not on CSI Miami. I don't have fuck you money. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. Come back and visit us next week. Follow us on all social media. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.